Our second scripture reading today comes to us from the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1,828, Philippians 3, verses 1 through 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. These are the holy words of God. May they produce a true worship that glories in Christ Jesus. It is estimated that there is probably over 4,000 different religions in the world today. There are the, the five major religions, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, and Judaism. There are also many lesser known Eastern religions, such as Taoism, Jainism, and Sikhism. Japan has Shintoism. China has Confucian, Confucianism. Then there's also Baha'i, Rastafarianism, Wicca, Scientology, Mormonism, Voodoo, and Santeria. And of course, animism is ingrained in most of these, as well as many other religions found throughout the world. And then there is atheism, which is a religion in itself. Though I don't suggest you tell your atheist friend that. With so many choices, how can anyone know which religion or religions are correct? What sets them apart from one another? What do they have in common? How can anyone find truth when there is so much to choose from? I want to suggest to you today that there really aren't 4,000 religions. There aren't even 400. In fact, the five major world religions is really a misnomer. For there are only two religions to choose from. In Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, God has this to say. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. The apostle is telling us here that in the sinfulness of man's heart, he has repressed the true things he knows about God and has established false gods to replace him. Though outwardly these religions take on many different forms and appearances, when you look closely at them, when you look at their intrinsic philosophies, they all have striking similarities. Each one relies on man's wisdom. Because of this, these religions tend towards a works-based form of salvation. This is because their view on who God is is faulty. They all worship a God or gods who need to be appeased in some way. Basically, every religion has some form of be a good person so that God will be pleased with you and bless you in some way. Whether that be entrance into heaven or reincarnation into some higher form of being or the creation of an earthly utopia. This is the basic form that every religion out there follows. Except for Christianity. The Christian religion teaches something different. And as we get into our text for today, my hope is that this will be made abundantly clear. But before we dig in, some context. If you recall from last week, Paul had just communicated to the church in Philippi that Timothy would not be coming to them. And that was why Epaphroditus had returned. Despite this disappointment of Timothy not coming to their aid, they should rejoice. For they were now a mature church that could handle difficult times on their own. For God had been maturing them in Christ and continued to do so. They had champions in their midst, men such as Epaphroditus, to help guide them through their struggles as they struggled to maintain unity. Now, Paul switches gears, giving the church a reminder of a previous warning that had come their way. Look with me again at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. As we read this, there are a couple of questions that need to be answered. One, Why does Paul give this warning? And two, who are these dogs? First, let's deal with the who. Probably the earliest heresy to attack the church was the Judaizing heresy or the teachings of the circumcision party. 
This group of men were Jews, were Jews claiming to be Christians. Their message was one of faith plus works. In other words, they believed that a person needed Jesus for salvation, but Jesus wasn't enough. They must also be circumcised and become obedient to the Jewish laws as well. All the Jewish festivals and all the rituals still needed to be practiced. In essence, they did not proclaim a message that we are saved by grace through faith alone, but rather obedience to the law was also necessary. This stems from their faulty view on who Jesus is. To them, Jesus' sacrifice was not sufficient. And circumcision was the first step for the Gentiles to be saved. This is why Paul calls them mutilators of the flesh. Now, Paul had previously written a whole letter to the churches in Galatia because these churches had fallen under the circumcision party's spell. And it is from this letter that we ascertain what this group taught and believed. Listen to some of Paul's warnings from this epistle. Galatians 3, verses 1 through 5. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if, really, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Again, in Galatians 5, verses 2 through 4, we get another warning. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You, who are trying to be justified by the law, have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. These are some strong words from the apostle. Yet Paul needed to speak sharply because the gospel message was at stake. To turn away from the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins was to turn away from salvation altogether. Now you may be asking yourself, is such a teaching really that bad? I mean, these Judaizers still believed in Jesus, right? Isn't that enough? Let's look at Paul's words from our first scripture reading. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ, 
and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Brothers, sisters, doctrine matters. What you believe matters. In fact, it is of eternal importance. Paul wasn't using hyperbole here. He repeated it twice. Let him be eternally condemned. He was telling the church that there is only one gospel message that can save. It is only by believing in Jesus, the God-man, in his death on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins that you can find salvation. Any other message is a condemning lie from the pit of hell. Paul was reminding the believers in Philippi of this same message. Most likely, they had already read this letter to the churches in Galatia as these things were copied down and passed around amongst the different churches. Plus, Paul would have warned them in the past about the Judaizers because this group had followed him around church to church to church. So when Paul used the words mutilators of the flesh, they would have known that he was referring to this circumcision party. So the who has been solved. But why this warning? Again, we'll find our answer in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, verse 12. Paul says this, Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Philippi was a church under persecution. The circumcision party was a group that claimed Christ, but looked, an awfully, looked awfully similar to Judaism, a protected religion in Rome. Circumcision was a convenient way Gentiles could claim Christ, yet avoid both Roman and Jewish persecution. As the church in Philippi faced greater and greater challenges to their faith, it would have been easy for them to turn to this route. This is why Paul urged these Christians to stand firm in the Lord. In our world today, Strict obedience to Jewish laws and practices are not beliefs where you as a Christian will face pressure. Yet there are other doctrines where the world will want you to cave. For example, society today cannot handle absolutes. They don't want to hear any truth that claims to have authority over all 
people. It's called postmodernism. Yet Christianity is a religion that declares all truth comes from God. Most importantly, that Jesus is the only way to the Father. It is not popular to say that Muslims or Buddhists are going to hell, but that is the truth that the Scripture claims. And as Christians, this is where you must stand firm in the Lord, even if it makes your life a little more difficult. For to believe that there is any other way of salvation is to believe in a false gospel. Paul was dealing with a false gospel and with false teachers. Now there are three things that he points out about these Judaizers. First, he calls them dogs. In the first century, the term dog was used by Jews to refer to Gentiles. It was a derogatory label that was meant to communicate the lowliness that these outsiders had compared to God's chosen people. This was the term that Jesus used when he spoke to the Syrophoenician woman in Mark chapter 7, for she too was a Gentile. So when Paul calls them dogs, he isn't trying to be mean here, but he is declaring something significant. He is describing a reversal of position. These Judaizers, though they were of Jewish descent, they were now outside of the faith. In other words, they were no longer God's people. They were dogs. Second, Paul then goes on to say that these dogs were those who do evil. Here the irony gets even thicker. For the very thing that they were trying to do, please God through their obedience, was actually having the opposite effect. Their teaching was of satanic origin. And the result was causing division among God's people and leading others on a path to hell. Finally, Paul calls them mutilators of the flesh. They no longer deserve the moniker of the circumcision party. For their practice was mutilation, much like the religious practices that were carried out by the pagans in Paul's day. Again, Paul is placing these heretics outside of God's kingdom. Now, under the, the old covenant, circumcision was God's visible mark of inclusion into his family. Yet even then, God wanted more than outward obedience. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Paul expounds on this verse in, in the book of Romans, chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Paul says this, A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. 
Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. So outward circumcision is not what makes a person a true Jew. Rather, it is by the working of the Holy Spirit, renewing the heart of a man. That is what makes him one of God's chosen people. And this brings us back to Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. These Gentile believers, those who did not bear the outward mark, Paul calls them the circumcision. Physical circumcision cannot remove the sinful nature that is bound up in our flesh. It is only through the work of the Holy Spirit that a man's heart can be made new. And Paul says that a true Israelite worships by the Spirit of God. Worship no longer requires a temple with sacrifices. For Jesus is the only sacrifice that is necessary. And the Spirit of God no, no longer dwells in the Holy of Holies, but he resides in the hearts of men. That is why in John's Gospel, Jesus said this to the Samaritan woman. In John chapter 4, verse 21, Jesus said this, Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The temple is no longer necessary. For true worshipers worship by the spirit of God. Paul then goes on to say that God's people glory in Christ Jesus. Their confidence is in who Jesus is and what he has done. They look to the cross for salvation. For salvation is found in no one else, since there is no other name under heaven given to men by which men must be saved. God's people do not glory in themselves. They put no confidence in the flesh. Unlike the dogs, a true Jew does not look to his own obedience or achievements for salvation. For the flesh is not trustworthy, and life cannot be found there. Only in Christ can true righteousness be found. Dear friends, Jesus was the only one who could put confidence in the flesh. You see, he lived a sinless life. More than that, he offered up his flesh for your benefit. He allowed his flesh 
to be whipped. He permitted the soldiers to nail his flesh to the cross. He allowed his flesh to die, even though it was not necessary. Yet for your sake, it was necessary. Christ paid the penalty for your sins so that you could glory in him. If you take a step back from the page, you should notice that there are three things that Paul was communicating to the brothers and sisters in Philippi. First, he was reminding them of who they were. They were not Gentile dogs, but they were the circumcision. Second, he was reminding them what they do. They do not practice evil, but they worship by the Spirit. Finally, he was reminding them how they are saved. They do not mutilate their flesh in order to please God, but they glory in Christ, putting no confidence in the flesh. Where do you put your confidence? Who is your trust in? Is it in Christ? Is it in what he has done for you? Or is it in your own flesh? There are only two choices, two religions. Either your God is a God of grace, or he is a God that demands. There is no other choice. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a God of grace. You do not ask us to save ourselves, but you stepped in to rescue us. You sent your son to die for our sins. And you have given to us your Holy Spirit so that we could be true worshipers of you. Give us faith to believe in these things. Take away any confidence we have in our flesh and allow us to glory in your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.